0: Obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see, and ears that would not hear, down to this very day. And David says, Let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever.
1: So we're looking for encouraging things. That doesn't sound so encouraging, but, um, but he is. He's saying, no, we're going to, we, he's going to talk about this, is that God has not rejected his people. So we're going to just start going through um, the first couple verses. I oh, said that there. Um, he, And so what does he start with? He says, no, he, and I, he's like, I am proof myself, right? Paul himself is proof. Because why? And I, I, we're smaller, so we can actually can actually answer questions. So why is why is Paul an example of this?
0: Because as an Israelite, he is still uh, like. He is saved. He is—I guess I would say a Christian, but I know they didn't use that term. Um, but he is accepted by
1: God. Yeah, God. yeah. So he's no longer—he's no longer in enmity with God. Yeah. So God is showing him grace. He said, "Because God has shown me grace, I'm a descendant of Israel." He said, and he even goes as far as telling his tribe, saying, uh-huh. "Like I even know what my tribe is," um, and he's and. At that time, there were there were many people that didn't know their tribe. Um, those that were that were exiled and didn't return after Babylon, they didn't. A lot of people lost which tribe they came from. But Paul's family came back, and then so they were able to. He was able to continue knowing what his lineage was in the tribe of Benjamin. And so you, you go, he's like, I even know what my tribe is. I, I know for sure my lineage, that I'm a part of this, this, of Israel. So if God has rejected his people, he would have rejected me also. And so that's his, kind of his first point. And, he says, um, and then he continues, and he says, God has not rejected his people f- whom he foreknew. And that word foreknew, have we seen that before? I know we looked at it in Ephesians. And um, but that does anyone remember what forenew means? It's important.
2: Like knew before.
1: Yeah, to know before yes. chosen beforehand. For um,
2: so those he foreknew, he predestined. That
1: Yeah. <laughs> mm mm-hmm. Exactly. That's Ephesians, right? Those he foreknew. So. No, that's Romans. Probably
2: is Romans. Actually. Romans
1: chapter five. I have to think. Um, and so that you, so you see that he's like these are the people that he when he's talking about new he's talking about the nation of Israel he's like he had chosen them beforehand and so now you start asking the question okay we're not we're not Jewish so why does this matter, so does this matter? and I think it's important that we recognize why this matters is because it, it proves that God is faithful to his word And so the promises that he has given, it's really important um, that we understand that he has not forsaken his his chosen people, Israel, um, while he brings in the Gentiles. So what's his second example of how God has not forsaken his people? He goes to the Old Testament and to Kings. Kings chapter nineteen. 1 Kings chapter nineteen. If you want to read it, but um, I'm just gonna pull out a couple verses. I printed off the verses so that they're here. But um he talks about Elijah. Does that does everyone know this story of Elijah? That he goes and he um Elijah calls Elijah Uh Carmel, Mount Carmel. You guys know the story of Mount Carmel. So Elijah goes is called. There's a long drought, and then Elijah is called by God to go and speak to. It was King Ahab and Queen Jezebel at the time um, in Israel in the north. And he said, well, "You're going to go, and you're going to stop the stop the famine, stop the drought, um, and I'm going to send rain. But before you do that, I want you to go and bring all of the all of the priests of Baal, and I'm going to show to Israel that I am their God and that all of these false gods and these false prophets of Baal are nothing. And so Elijah ends up on the mountain with this big... with this. They, they both build an altar. The prophets of Baal and Elijah, they build an altar. Elijah throws tons and tons of water on top of the altar and builds a trench around it and throws water on it. And he says, Okay, you guys go first, call down on your God Baal, and of course nothing happens. There's no the the sacrifice is still there, there's no fire that comes down. Elijah prays to God and God sends a fire from heaven and he burns down and burns down the whole altar, um, the sacrifice, the altar, and even the water. And at this point all of the prophets go crazy and they're like they're, and there, and all the false prophets are in kind of like dis, just kind of disorder. Elijah flees, and he's like, "I am the only one left left in israel this even this act that just happened didn't bring Israel back to to god he didn't even they didn't even see god 's power, and so these are this is just important for us to have this understanding of. Now, this is when Elijah, he goes and he hides in a cave. This is where I go, like, you have this great act of, like, faith, of, like, putting everything on this the altar. And then he's like, but Jezebel's going to kill me. And you're like, what did God just show you? His power. And, he, you're, and he's afraid. And so it just, it shows his heart, his human heart of and how easy it is to give into fear. Um, but he calls out to God against Israel, and he said, Israel, there's no one in Israel. Everyone has rejected you, God. Um, and so this is what Paul is referring to, and, he's, and he said, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I am the only one left, and they're trying to kill me now. And so Paul says, now, what was God's response to, to Elijah in this? And he says, "I have reserved for myself seven thousand who have not bowed the knee to Baal." And so there's something here. He's God says, "I have preserved my own, but have not turned away from me." He's like, "You are unaware of them, but I, but I know who they are, and they, and, and, and so God's like, and I see them, I know them, and I will preserve them." Um, and he says. And so Paul makes this connection between that time and God saying, yeah, it looks like all of Israel has rejected me, but it hasn't. There's still a remnant there that has chosen not to turn away. Um, And so he he makes that connection to today, that there is a chosen remnant, not those that haven't bowed their knee to Baal, but the chosen remnant by grace. And so... Um, God chooses to show grace to whom he cho- chooses to show, show grace. Just like in chapter 9 when he talks about Jacob and Esau. And he says God chose to have Jacob follow the line of the promise. Um, oh, something just popped up. Okay, it went away. Okay, so Jacob was, was chosen to to have the promise and Esau wasn't. And it wasn't based on anything that they did, but this was by grace and not by works. And so um, this was another, another example of how God preserves a remnant. So even if you can't see it, and that's what Paul is saying, is even if we can't see this remnant in Israel that God is preserving, he is still preserving it. So today there is a remnant, well even at Paul's time there was a remnant of Israel that is chosen by grace. Um, even though as a whole it looks like Israel is no longer following their God because they've rejected their Messiah. So, that was a lot. Questions, comments? So we have... um, I want to keep this up here i don't that doesn't block the camera. I keep putting this over on the other side and then okay um, all right, so let's continue so he he has he's given these two different um examples of how god has god has is still showing that he is for Israel. And I like that last little, that last, the last verse when he says, and if by grace, then it's no longer by works. And if it were grace would no longer be grace. And, um, and it's another way of showing, like, this is my grace on Israel, not for anything that they've done. I mean, if you looked at Jacob and Esau and their lives, Esau would be the one to choose if it was me. I'm like, Jacob. If you look at Jacob was deceiver and a liar and schemer, and you're like, I don't know about Jacob, um, and he even feared Esau. Esau forgave Jacob. You know, you just you look at all of those things. You go, if I was choosing, if man was choosing, I would choose based on his works, and God chose based on his grace. Okay. Um, who who could he show more grace to? To say, I've chosen you because. I chose you, not because of anything you did. Um, we just finished reading Genesis with the girls and the girls were like, They were all kind of messed up. And I'm like, Yeah, they were all kind of messed up. Um, but I'm like, but that shows us that it doesn't matter what we do. God will God is still um God still loves us and He still shows us grace. And so um Alright, so let's continue. And he asks the next question, what then? Um, what Israel sought earnestly, did, did they not obtain it? And so that's kind of this question. Um, did Israel not obtain what they were seeking? You know, they were seeking God, right? And this goes back again. He's like, were they seeking God in the right way? He said, like, yeah, Israel had zeal. In chapter 9, he says, yeah, Israel had zeal, but their zeal was not founded on anything. Um, It was not founded on faith. It was founded on works. Um, The more things that I can do, the closer I can get to God instead of believing and trusting in him to do the work. Um, And so you have this, he's like, yeah, did they? They didn't. They maybe obtained what they were looking for in their works, but they didn't obtain what they're looking for in their faith, because they didn't seek for it through faith. Um. So, but he goes, now it's not, it's not Israel as a whole that obtained it, but the elect. Okay. So, has anyone else heard this word "elect" and you kind of cringe? You go, okay, what does this mean? Like, what does this mean, the elect? Um, The elect is just another way of of saying those that are chosen by grace. So those of us that God has chosen to show his grace to, that's what we call the elect. Um, It has baggage nowadays because people will be like, I'm elect and you're not. And you're like, "Uh, we don't know who is not elect and we don't know who's elect. Only God knows that. So we... So you just go, we need to be careful in how we use things like this. Because the purpo- even the whole purpose of this chapter is, don't be proud because God has shown you grace. Um, so as we continue on with that, he's like, so the, uh, the elect did because God has shown them grace. They did obtain it through faith. Um, but the rest were hardened. And this is kind of this idea of hardened is another one of those things that is difficult. Uh, And if we go back to again, chapter 9, he talks about Pharaoh, right? Raising up Pharaoh to display his power. Not Pharaoh's power, but God's power. And um, if you go back to the Old Testament, it says that Pharaoh hardened his heart, and then Pharaoh hardened his heart, and then Pharaoh hardened his heart, and then it says, and then God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And so you see that God doesn't give us over to something that we're not desiring. And we see that again if we go back to the beginning of the first couple chapters of, of, Romans, of Romans, when he's like, God gave them over to their sin. God gave them over to, to the depraved mind. And so you see, like, he's not, he's not taking a holy person and saying, oh, this person is so great, and I'm going to just push them into sin. That's not what God does. He's, it's us going that direction, and then God allowing us to continue. Um, and so you see that in both ways. Someone has a nice bird in their backyard.
0: No,
2: I'm, that's my house, but how do I mute that? Because there is a lot of noise. <laughs>
1: it sounds nice.
2: In the bottom left corner, you Naomi, can, you can just mute yourself.
1: And then unmute when you want to talk. You're signed in as Hannah. I huh?
2: know. <laughs> uh, it's because Hannah used it for her Zoom
1: stuff. That's for great. School. That's great. So, so how good. where are you, How do you guys feel? Like this section is is kind of more difficult to understand, or not? Maybe not understand. It's more difficult to. Take in maybe. Um but where it's
2: really difficult for me to wrap my head around. Because
1: yeah.
2: I understand the words, I somehow understand the concepts, but I really have a hard time just wrapping my head around the whole idea and I think that there I've had to tell myself there are certain things I'm just never gonna fully grasp or understand when it comes to this.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and this is that that battle between God's sovereignty and and human responsibility. They're both there. I don't really know where the line is, and it might move depending on the circumstances. But um, but all I know is that they are both there, and that's why we've had discussions for thousands of years <laughs> on it. So um, okay, so he continues and he goes and he quotes the Old Testament. What I think is kind of interesting here is that he's quoting from three different parts of the Old Testament. He quotes from the law, he quotes from the prophets, and he also quotes from the Psalms. So, you know, it's this idea of the, he's quoting from the law that was like upheld as, you know, our way to reach God. And then the prophets who spoke God's word, and then also to the heart of worship to God through the Psalms and so you have all three of these aspects that are that Paul um, that Paul is quoting from so um, we are sorry my allergies are like awful right now um, we are in verse eight right. Eight. So God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes, so they could not see, and ears, so they could not hear, to this very day. And so this is a quote, mostly, there's two, There, it's kind of um, from three different verses. It's Isaiah 6, 9. Yes, Isaiah 6, 9 um isaiah twenty nine ten and deuteronomy twenty nine four so i'm just gonna read those to you if that's okay um isaiah twenty nine ten says for the lord has poured out upon you a spirit of deep sleep and has closed your eyes and covered your heads which you're like yeah yikes and then deuteronomy twenty nine four says but to this day the Lord has not given you a mind that understands, or eyes that see, or ears that hear. And Isaiah 6, 9, and 10. This is Isaiah's call when God calls Isaiah. And he says, God says to him, Go and tell his people, Be ever hearing but never understanding, be ever seeing but never perceiving, make the hearts of his people calloused, make their ears dull. And close their eyes; otherwise, they might see their see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. I always I always read that, and I go, if God called me to ministry that I knew would fail, I don't know what I would do. When I read Isaiah's calling, but um, but there's some. So he's quoting from these three different places, saying God has said this, is that they will their ears will be will be closed off to hearing him and his eyes won't Then their eyes won't be able to see him um, and I don't know if any of you as you read this I'm. Jesus says this all the time throughout his, um, the gospels he's like, those who have an ear let him hear he, you know and I just go I never knew, I always was like what does he mean by that but this, he was Speaking to Israel at the time, and and he knows. And I still wonder if if the people at the time knew what he was referring to. He's like the people must have known. They the, they would know the the Torah. They would know the Old Testament by heart. And he's when he said, "Those of you who have an ear, let him hear." I'm sure that just grated on them. Um, and so I just wanted to to read. Where in Matthew 13, Jesus says, uh, he's talking to the, the Pharisees, and well he's actually talking to the, he was talking to the Pharisees, and then, then his disciples asked him, "Why are you speaking in parables? This doesn't make any sense." And he said, "This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing they do not see, though hearing they do not understand, in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Oh, and turn, and I would heal them, Jesus says. But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. And you you read this and you go, he's like, Israel is rejecting me. They have closed their eyes to me. He's like, if they would open their eyes, I would heal them. Um, he's like, but they haven't. And so even you have in the prophet of Isaiah, he's like, their their eyes are going to be closed, which almost sounds like... My, I'm going to close their eyes. But then when you hear Christ talk about it, he's like, they have closed their eyes to me. And so you have the heart side of it, the human responsibility side of it, and also God's sovereignty. So, um, yeah. And then we continue with the next quote is from the Psalms, which is uh, Psalms 69:22 and 23. And so he said, David says, May their table become a snare and a trap and a stumbling block, and a a retribution for them. And he says, "May the table be so." Reading from Psalms, may the table set before them become a snare. May it become a retribution and a trap. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see, and their backs be bent forever. And this also reminds us. We last week we talked about the stumbling block. What is the stumbling block? Or who is the stumbling block for Israel? Does anyone? Who's the stumbling block for Israel that we talked about last week? Anyone?
0: That was Jesus.
1: Yeah, right. So Jesus is the stumbling block. And you're like, wait but Jesus is a good thing so how can it be a stumbling block and even in this passage of of Psalm 69 he said God is using something good as a stumbling block and um, there's so many things we can pull out of that for our own lives how many good things do we have in our lives that that become a stumbling block to our relationship with God there's a lot Um, but But here he's like, this good thing, which is Christ, has become a stumbling block to Israel because they're not accepting their Messiah. And so you're starting to see kind of how all of these things are coming together in these three passages. So any questions on this section before we move on to the um, examples that he uses, two examples or metaphors? Any question? It's a lot, so I'm gonna pull up a different translation here. I'm giving thinkers the time to think. If you have any questions. Oh, I miss you, Naomi. With your, you got your hair. You've been going. It's so nice. <laughs> okay um,
2: hey, like I just wanted to say I also, we can also um, on the chat you can also go down there and ask questions on that chat if you wanted to do that
1: how do I see
2: that so do you Will see come from up? the bottom where it says share screen right next to where you said share screen there's a chat button and um, there are a couple chats in there right now Oh. Uh Terry had said, Can we ask questions here? And I said yes. I don't yes. know if it's
1: yeah. you can yeah. ask whatever you want. Yeah, but
2: if something comes to mind and it's in the middle of when Julianne's talking, just go ahead and write that question down right there in the chat. Yeah, and then okay.
1: I don't I can't see that.
2: So how can you see everybody? Like does no.
0: it, if, but- if you're on your iPad and I like mean you when, when julian puts the screen you'll only see the person talking if you're on your ipad
2: okay oh there's everybody okay oh i didn't yeah. see who was there oh miss
1: <laughs> oh and kayla is here hi i like hi, all these people popped up and carolyn
2: <laughs> oh and shirley Brooke, hello <laughs> last hi. week everyone's last- faces
1: Last week, the girls heard Shirley talking. They're like, oh, who's talking? And Alicia's <laughs> like, I can't see her.
2: Where is she? <laughs> oh, that's, that's so cute. cute. But
1: Okay, so let's go back. I'm going to share this screen again. So you, there's no questions?
0: Wait, I, I had a question. Yeah. Going back to the grace part about as believers, do we even concern ourselves whether we're in that grace or under God's grace cuz you like you said we don't know. So as believers do we have the the comfort of knowing that we are under God's grace? Yes.
1: Yes. Yes, as believers we have that comfort. And so everyone that believes in Christ has the comfort of grace. But what I'm saying, maybe I should have said it this way is that we don't know who God has chosen and hasn't chosen. And so we don't get to make that decision and be like, pretty sure God hasn't chosen you. So I'm not even going to tell you the gospel. That, that's not our choice. So that's, that's what I mean by that. So I'm, there is kind of an extreme view um, in, one, in one, one really specific theological perspective um, that they say we don't need to even share the gospel with people because whoever God has called, God will call. And you're like, yeah, yes and no, but God, he has us as part of the plan. So. I just finished
0: reading the, the second book of the Francine River series, I don't know if you've read those with Hadassah. Oh, I love She them. was the servant to Julia Valerian and down to her last breath. Yeah. And she accepted Jesus. And it's kind of like, like you're just saying, you don't know. And that is our responsibility is to share that gospel. And that's what, I mean, I just cried my eyes out when I finished I know. book two. And it's like, I mean, she did everything evil. I know. And yet, there was redemption for her.
1: And Back that's uh, and that's where we go. We don't know. Like, we can see where people are at the moment, but we don't know what God has in store for them. I mean, if you look at even Paul's life and you say, look at, he was persecuting the church, he was killing believers, and then he becomes... A light to the Gentiles, like it doesn't, you know, it just doesn't make any sense. So you're like, because God's ways are different than our ways, and yeah. so, and I know, like, um, someone had asked a question. It would have been that week before we left. So, like in chapter in chapter eight, they said, "What do I do with someone who claimed that they were a Christian and now they've rejected God?" Um, and you say, "Are they still a believer?" And I would say you know a fruit by it, you know a tree by its fruit so if if the person is no longer w- like showing that they're a believer you know someone who says I deny God is not a believer but you don't know what God will do in their life later so you don't just disregard them saying well they had their chance you, you, that's not you said you treat them as an, un, an unbeliever because that's what they're claiming to be and so you preach the gospel to them not like preaching like like i'm preaching the gospel to you but it's like you just continue to share god what god can give them through his grace and so
0: if, if we assume that position it would be a little bit like being the jews and the gentiles right we think mm-hmm. we're all bad and we're behaving in a certain way and yeah the other, and that's that's not our job our job is to share the
2: good news and that's our job
1: Yeah, that's our job, and that's where when you read in chapter 10, when it says, how will they know if they haven't heard? And so um, and you can take that section in chapter 10 and you go, that's our call is to go and tell them. And even when you look in Isaiah and God calls him to go to a people that will not hear and not understand, he doesn't say that he shouldn't. (laughs) He shouldn't go. God still calls him to go, even though the people will reject his message. So, um, which is really fun. But Francine Rivers, I'm. I was reading the chats. No. I have that up now, so I can see it. I couldn't see it before. So, all right. So, can we continue? I gotta bring the PowerPoint back up. Share. Share. There we go. Can you see the PowerPoint again? Yep. Okay. I just think it helps keep us all on track. So we are going to do the next section. Uh, 11 through 15, which is, we're talking about what, what is Israel's stumbling or their transgression? What does that look like for the Gentiles? Someone want to read?
0: I will. So I ask... Oh, so I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles, so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their favor means riches for the Gentiles, how much more would their full inclusion mean? Mm-hmm. Now, I am speaking to you, Gentiles, Inasmuch then, as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous, and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance means but life from the dead?
1: Yay. This is where some excitement comes now. So... Has Israel fallen completely? Is kind of the question that we have to ask from, the, from here. Do we say yes or no? No, they haven't fallen completely, and he uses this word partial. Um, oh wait, that's later. Sorry, there is only—it's only a partial hardening. Later um, on, he's going to talk, he's going to actually say this is only a partial hardening of Israel, um, and we'll talk about that. So he's like, No, they're not going to fall, they're not falling completely. It is partial hardening. Israel is not excluded from God's kingdom, but this is a reference again to Israel as a whole, not as individuals, not as each individual Israelite. So just as he says, It looks like the whole of Israel has failed, but I have my remnant um and then uh, did they da, 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 they have not fallen beyond recovery, rather because of their transgression, so how has God used israel's fa- uh, failure so first, you have to ask the question, what is the failure, what is the trespass turning back from that or so I think it's important for us to to recognize this, so you have this idea from turning away from God, but what is what, is, what specifically is their trespass that Paul's referring to?
2: Turning to idols or to other gods?
1: So in the Old Testament that's, that was kind of that was kind of Israel's main failure is that they turned to trust other things. Right now while and while Paul is writing this, what is Israel's fa- failure? What did they reject?
0: Jesus, they
1: crucified Jesus. Yeah. So the, Israel's f- failure is their rejection of their Messiah. Mm-hmm. So, and so, and I think that's really important for us to understand as we continue on as he's talking about the trespass. The trespass he's referring to as the failure of Israel to accept Christ as their Savior. Um, and they're There's implications to understanding why that is. So um, God has... And so so God uses this failure to bring the Gentiles into into God's kingdom. And you go, well, why couldn't he just do both and not have Israel be hardened? Um, If Israel had accepted their Messiah straight up, the message would have never gone to the Gentiles. So... We gotta go. We are thankful for Israel's failure in this because we're able to hear the message. Um, and then Paul Paul even says, "I am bringing, I'm speaking this specifically to you Gentiles," which I think is interesting because before he was talking to the Jewish believers, now he's talking specifically to the Gentile believers for the rest of this chapter he's like for you gentiles you need to recognize this this is part of my ministry is not just for you to hear the message but even through you that israel will hear um and so he says to bring gentiles back into the kingdom of god but also is to make israel jealous saying they have what god had promised us and we want that also um and so, honestly, as we were, as I was reading this, I could not get the prodigal son out of my mind. Um, Luke chapter 15, which is just, I had never, we. It's really easy to take the prodigal son and be like, oh yeah, this. Where is it? Oh, it's here. Um, I, I love this the prodigal son in the fact that you go, okay, I can see myself in the in the brother who stays at home but i also can see myself in the brother that leaves but when you look at the prodigal son in the context where he's talking to the to the 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 sadducees and the 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 rulers of israel and he says look at this you have those that have stayed and you have those that have gone and and it's kind of this foreshadowing what god is going to do is that he's going to the rebellious nations that don't accept that don't even look for God and they they're going to come back to him through the message through Christ's message and so at the end you have the prodigal son returning and the other son the son that's there he's still working i you of know, like isn't this this is exactly what happened to Israel at the time the the Jewish people are still working, and then you're having the Gentiles coming in and receiving the blessings that the son is supposed to receive, the one that is there and I was like, Ugh. but if you read the prodigal son in in Luke chapter fifteen, it doesn't say what the the son the son that stayed, what his choice is. is he going to enter the house and fellowship with his brother and with the father? And it leaves it with a question mark. God says, "You know what? You know that I've always loved you, and you can come if you want to." And He leaves it at that, and, it, and you're left with the sun outside, the sun that's always been there outside, going, "Why is why is God doing this? This doesn't make any sense." Or why is my father doing this? It doesn't make any sense. And so there's—you just see these parallels. So I would say it would be kind of fun to read through um, Luke chapter 15 and the prodigal son after going through um, this passage that we're going through. So.
2: Julian, I love how you di- how you brought that in. Like I've never really thought of the prodigal son as the Jews and the Gentiles. That's really cool. I
1: I know, and I just go what I yeah I'm I was uh, like it was actually the girls we were reading the story of the prodigal son and so and i was like this is this is romans chapters 9 through <laughs> I 11 mean. so but so anyway so we can kind of see we can see that okay so if their trespass means the riches of the world now this is kind of confusing anyone else kind of was kind of confused by this the like trespasses and the riches of the world and what does that mean allergies um, I think I just got lost 12, verse 12 so if their tra- if their transgression means riches for the world their loss means riches and their loss means riches for the gentiles how much greater the riches of the um of their fullness or their inclusion mean and so because Israel's transgressions not their acceptance of the messiah the gentiles were able to hear the message and receive it and the blessings that come from that gospel when israel receives god's blessing of the gen- the, the blessings that the gentiles are receiving by th- their jews messiah will they um how much more will they be accepted and in, and included and what blessings will follow so it's kind of, i feel like it's a little bit of a rhetorical question but it also points out the fact that God still includes Israel, their full inclusion. So there's something else to come with Israel. God's not completely done with them. And I think that seeing that Israel is still a nation today, even if you look through history and how Israel has been almost wiped out so many times, um, that God has preserved them for a purpose. And I think part of that purpose is that God keeps his word even when man doesn't, and so you'll see you see that. Um, any questions on that? It was a little okay. Um, now he says, "I'm speaking to you, Gentiles," and this—the reason he says this is—this is going to be hard for Gentile believers to accept um, because they want to think that Paul is for them and them alone, because Paul was the was the um, apostle that went to the Gentiles. You know, Peter went to the Jews, Paul went to the Gentiles, and they're like, he's our apostle. And so he wants to make it clear that he's like, I want you to understand that this is not, you are not my only goal, but the Jews are also. And so he's like, to you Gentiles, I want you to be aware of this. Um, So one of Paul's goals for reaching the Gentiles is to reach the Jews. <clears throat> so that they will become jealous and thus some be saved, which I think is kind of, you know, which doesn't make sense to me. I'm like, God uses jealousy to save. And I think there are some aspects where you go, I see, and even when you see someone has a strong relationship with the Lord and you look at them and you go, I want what they have, and I want to figure out what, what they're doing with the Lord and in their daily life that makes that connection with God. Um, and that's a type of jealousy. I think that God uses
0: is the one. I think that, it's a healthy jealousy.
1: Yeah, yeah. And it's not like, oh, I just wish that would happen. But it's like, what what they have, I want. And I'm and and this is you see a lot of people come to Christ because they see a Christian's life and they go, they have something that I don't have, and that's what I want. And so um, that's what that's what one of Paul's goals is. Okay, so, but if they we're going to continue, verse 15, um, if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from death? And so he's making these comparisons, so like right now, with the, with the Jews' rejection of the Messiah, we're able to bring the Gentiles in, how much more, when they will be accepted, when they... Come when they recognize Christ as their Messiah, how much more what's going to happen here how much what more blessings will happen and really, most of the commentators are saying this seems to be a reference to the final resurrection um I am not an expert at all on end times, so i'm I have anything I say <laughs> about end times, I have to be careful because I'm not. I'm, I'm That's just not my expertise. But I feel like here is when Israel returns to God, and it, when you start seeing Jews actually coming to faith in the Messiah, and you see this growing, I think this is when we start looking at when Christ will return. And he said, because, and this is one of those verses that can kind of show that, because their acceptance when, when Israel is starting to become... Come accepted again. This is when it will bring life from death, which is a reference to the final resurrection. But take it with a grain of salt because it's not my expertise. So, okay, questions, comments? We'll move on to the, his examples of metaphors, which is kind of fun. Um, there's two metaphors. One is a verse or half a verse, and the other one is like the rest of the passage. Oh, my internet connection is unstable. You can still hear me, though, right? Okay. Can should can someone read this? Eleven, sixteen through twenty-four. Kirsten, I will.
2: Okay, um, if the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of, some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in a nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, Branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So you do not become proud, but fear, for if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note that the kindness and the severity of God, severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, Provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off, and even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree, and grafted, contrary to nature, into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these the natural branches be grafted back into their own olive tree
1: so what do you think <laughs> you're like what the heck is the dough referring to that's my that was my that was my first thing I'm like I don't know I don't understand that metaphor at all I get the I get the stump that I can kind of understand um but as as I was doing some research on that that dough metaphor, he said, If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then so is the whole lump. And if we look at Numbers 15, 7 through 20, um, it kind of gives, helps us a little bit understand this. Uh, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land to which I bring you, and when you eat the bread of the land, you shall present a contribution to, to the Lord. Of the first of your dough, you shall present as a loaf, present a loaf as a contribution, like a contribution from the, the threshing floor, and, and so shall you present it. Some of the first of your dough, you shall give to the Lord as a contribution throughout your generations. And you're like, okay. So it's talking about the first fruits um, of the harvest, and the first fruits are actually yeast free, and so these are again, these are Jewish things that we don't really understand as gentiles so um but he's saying like the if the first you're supposed to give a part of that lump, if that lump is yeast free, the rest of the lump will also be yeast free, so even though one part is being presented the other part continues to be yeast free and the presence of the yeast is the presence of yeast would defile the lump and and it's also kind of that in between of uh, not in between it's illustrating the same thing of the yeast defiling the lump as well as sin defiling the person um, so but he is saying so if if the first lump of dough is holy, then the part that's left—that—that that the part that's presented to God is holy. The part that is left and kept is also holy, um, which is a little hard for me to understand. And that's why I'm glad he has the second metaphor on the olive stump. So, if you have questions on that, I probably can't answer them. So let's go to the olive stump. <laughs> Uh, if the root is holy, so are the branches, and that I understand better. So, um, and then what happens? What happens to a branch that isn't working properly on a tree? It either dies and falls off, so it's no longer a branch, or it, or the gardener comes and cuts it off. Um, and so you have that that idea of like, okay, yeah, if the roots are good, the rest of the tree is going to be good. And so that's why in agriculture, you have people that put so much into the soil because that's how a tree grows. You mean, you can try to put things on the leaves, but it's not, it's not gonna have the same effect as the soil. And so, um, now as we go through this, the question of who is the root there are eight different interpretations of who the root is. So I have I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm like even as I read it I was talking to Eric I'm like I don't know where I stand on this. So um I'm the commentary that I was reading I just took his position um and I don't think it's I don't think it's really important. go through all of the different um, examples or different interpretations of the root but so he says that the root itself was the faith of Abraham and I feel like you can kind of see that throughout um, throughout Romans when he talks about the promise that it's through the promise through the faith of Abraham um, the children of the promise it's not you know it wasn't uh, it wasn't Ishmael that received it, but it was, it was Isaac. It was, and so it wasn't Jacob. It was, I mean, it was, it wasn't Esau, but it was Jacob. And so that through the faith, the root is that faith of Abraham going back to the beginning of Israel. Um, well, even before is, really before Israel, um, but that first promise that was made to the people. Um, so some people interpret the root as God that, and, or the God's kingdom. Um, some people say the root is Israel itself. Um, and so I think that when Paul refers to Israel through these chapters, he's referring to the spiritual Israel that, follows the faith but i think he also is referring to the nation of israel so it's it gets a little complicated um and that's why there's lots of commentaries on it so but anyways so that with that said we're going to go from the perspective of like this the root is the faith that comes from abraham or the faith of abraham the promise of abraham that root that was started so then who are the branches? We have the branches are Israel, but those who those who believe and those who deny. So you have two aspects of the branches that are present, and then you have those that are grafted, and that's the Gentiles. Um, and this is also, those that are grafted later are also the Jews who will believe after the Gentiles. That will be grafted back in. So, yeah. Anyways, sometimes metaphors can get too complicated and then you take them too far and then you overdo it. And so, um, but I, I, there's just a couple different things that I want to pull out of this. If some of the branches were broken off, then you, a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among them and now you share in the nourishing root this is the purpose of these metaphors is that you're, he's like you as Gentiles, you can't be like, yeah, God cut them off, and because he wanted to choose me and I think that is one of the main things, so the branches that were broken off were unbelieving Jews because they rejected the Messiah, and the wild olive shoot are the Gentiles so he's like, yeah, we grafted you were grafted in, and you can say, yes I was grafted in because they were cut off. He's like, God needed to, the plant still needed branches. And he's like, so you were grafted in. But he's like, be careful that you're not finding your confidence in, hey, I'm awesome because God has done this for me. He's like, you need to still continue to be humble. Because that is why Israel was cut off in the first place and he's like you need to watch yourself and he's not talking about the individual believer but he's talking about believers as a whole and so i do feel like as the church this is a this is like we need to be careful that that we're not arrogant towards the jews because we were founded on them you know god had had all of his promises and blessings that came through the jews and he even said to abraham through you all the nations will be blessed and so we can't disregard Israel and be like yeah God has rejected them and we're just going to leave them in that and so now it's all about us as the church that's what Paul is saying he's like no we need to continue to reach out to the Jews and he said but also be careful that you don't become prideful like they did um I'm I'm just I have more notes on this but I'm going to move forward. Um but really I feel like the whole purpose of these metaphors is to tell the Gentiles to be careful to not be proud. He's like I know there's more here but to follow his train of thought um I think that's that's what we need to remember for today is that we don't we don't come to God with arrogance but we come with humility. Even as we receive his grace, because um, he talks about, you know, he's like the Jews were cut off. He's like you also would be cut off, and you would. And I, oh, it's it's so complicated. It wasn't as complicated, and I wrote it down. Um, but he's like we need to come to the Lord in in fear and hum and humbly, not with pride. Um, So we stand in faith Knowing that it's by God's grace And deserving nothing That we are able to be even part Of God's people So um, The whole idea of the natural branches God's like It's totally Even in agriculture It doesn't make any sense To cut off a wild branch And put it on a cultivated tree it's actually opposite. You would take a wild tree that already has established roots and you would take the branch from a cultivated tree and add it. Because the cultivated tree will produce the most fruit. So you're like, so even this idea of of God taking us a wild a wild olive shoot that produces doesn't produce very much fruit but grows just grows like just keeps growing and growing and growing with green but no fruit or little tiny fruit it wouldn't make sense to take a branch from that and put it onto a cultivated tree that produces a lot of fruit but is smaller it would actually in agriculture you do the opposite and this is another way of saying that God's ways are not our ways what we would consider as natural is not natural so it would make more sense for Israel to receive all the blessings right away and not the Gentiles but that's not how God has done it so um, okay verses 22 and 24 talks about God's kindness and severity and I think this is something that we have to recognize goes back to Romans 2 4 um, and he's again pointing out that you didn't do not presume on the riches of the kindness and forbearance and patience of the Lord, because you're not recognizing that these are the things that are meant to, leave you to lead you to repentance, not pride. Um, and so it's just another. This is another way of saying, yeah, God shows His kindness to you, but don't take it. Don't take advantage of that. Not advantage. What is it? Yeah, take advantage of it. Don't. Don't just disregard it and be like, oh yeah. Of course, he would show me kindness. He's like, this is that was the sin of the Jews, and he doesn't want to see that in the Gentile believers either. Um, So, I'm gonna. There are more notes there, but we're not. I'm. I don't really want to go into all of it, um, but I'd like to continue. So, just in a summary, again, this is a warning to Gentile believers not to take pride in their placement but to rest in faith. So, questions?
0: I had a question, Julie. Mm-hmm. So, Jews that become believers, do we call them Jewish Christians? Or what is the... Because there's a lot of different sects of Jewish people, you know, mm-hmm. different divisions. So, would that be correct? I don't know, to that they are
2: Christians so, so have heard them called Messianic Jews
1: yeah so they call them Messianic Jews those that believe in the Messiah um, and I was just talking with someone last week that they were saying but the Messianic Jews are also having that like term is like a denomination and so it comes with different theology also so you're kind of like I don't know I don't know. One of my good friends in college was a Messianic Jew, and he went. He he, he's in Israel now. So, and I just go. I he goes. Israel needs to hear God's message of his Messiah, of their own Messiah. You know, Israel's Messiah. They need to hear it, and so that's what he's doing. But I. I don't know where to classify them, and I think this is part of the problem of understanding what the root is. <laughs> okay. Um, and so there are lots of different theological positions that you can come out of this with. One is that Israel is the church, um, or the church is Israel now, so that any Israelite that comes to faith in Christ is now part of the church. Or you have um, the idea that Israel is um, the root is is Israel, so the it's complicated. <laughs> There's like, and I even I even I was talking to Sharon Horshawara, and I'm like, I don't know how to, I don't feel like it's important necessarily for our daily walk as believers to have that understanding other than we know that both will be included in the end we don't really necessarily know how it works um and i don't I
0: like that explanation that we don't need to to worry about it that god has it yeah all worked out
1: so and it, it it has some implications for your ideas on end times and um, I always joke saying my mom my mom's view of end times she says she's a, a pan pan millennialist, meaning she thinks everything's gonna pan out, and I kind of take that. Also in the same way, just be like you know God has it under control. I hope for like, for you know. I hope that I'm not a part of the tribulation, but if God has me a part of that, I'm, he'll give me the strength for it, you know. So you have those things. Um, so all of those things kind of, these all go together with understanding, is Israel still part? Is the church now Israel? All of those questions. Um, I, We could talk about it for hours and, yeah. Okay. I don't know. I don't know. So, and I told Eric I need. This is something that I need to study more because I, I had, I looked at it when I was in Bible college, but I need a refresher. So it's like I need to. I really need to understand it better before I can even talk about it. So. Um, So, with all that said, I think the importance for us to remember here is that. Not to go into end times things, but to recognize that as Gentiles, we shouldn't be proud, but rest in our, the faith that God has given us and in his grace. So, um, let's continue. I'm, I have no idea what time it is. I just realized. Are we way over? Hmm. You don't, You don't have anywhere to go, so but okay it's
0: almost 11
1: oh yeah that clock is 20 minutes fast okay <laughs> all right uh, I'm going to read this last section lest you be wise in your own sight I do not want you to be unaware of the mystery of the mystery brothers a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles have come in and in this way all of Israel will be saved as it is written the deliverer will come from De- from Zion and he will be banish ungodliness from Jacob, and this will be my covenant with with them when I take away their sins, as regards to the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but as regards but as regards re- election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable, for just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but have But now have received mercy because of their disobedience. So they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may receive mercy. Uh, For God has uh, consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. All right. Let's go, verse 25. I, now I, I just am taking little pieces out. He's like, I don't want you to be unaware that there's a mystery here. That and when Paul uses the word mystery, he's usually referring to the gospel. Um, but here he's talking about the Jews and the Gentiles being put together, um, which I think is important to recognize that there is this aspect. We don't understand why he. We don't understand how and why God is choosing to bring salvation to the world in this way. But we know that he is. Um, so Paul wants them to understand that there is a mystery. And that it also there's also a mystery for the hardening of Israel. He's like, we can't call it a full hardening, but we'll call it a partial hardening. And it actually means a hardening for a time. Or for a while, not just like a half heart, a half hard heart. It's like, it's a hardening for just a time. And that time is for the fullness of the Gentiles to be received. So until all of those Gentiles who will be saved are saved, then the, then the hardening of Israel will, will um, be let up. Does that make sense? Oh, look at the baby.
0: Oh,
1: he's so cute. Ellie. Oh, that's so awesome. Look at that. Oh, I can't. Well, we
0: can't see the baby because you have us with a, with a class on the board. I'm
1: sorry. Okay, here, <laughs> I'll, we'll have to take one second and look at the baby. Now,
0: where's the baby?
1: Yeah, Aww. Ellie, you got to speak. I don't know how to. Oh. Okay, I. Uh,
2: you can hear his hiccups. Oh, hi, he's wide good. awake. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I'd start him on something easy like Romans.
1: <laughs> I think it's good. Hear the word of the Lord. <laughs> I, 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 yeah. yeah. All right. All right, okay, we're going back, or we're gonna be way over.
0: Thank you, teacher.
1: Sorry, we have to be distracted by babies. okay, so all right, so Israel's hearted for a time, and this is part of that mystery. We don't understand why God has done it this way, but we know that he has it all planned out um. And now he says when he talks about all being saved, what does that mean? All of Israel, and this is kind of that idea of, and it goes also goes into until all of the Gentiles, um, until the fullness of the Gentiles. This is the same idea of how the language is being used. All of Israel, until the fullness of the Gentiles. Um, when Abraham, when God says to Abraham all the nations will be blessed he's not referring to every single individual but that every nation will receive God's blessing because the nation as a whole um, same as the idea as Israel as a whole but not every individual Israelite does that make sense? maybe? Brooks like hmm I'm not sure so, um, and it's kind of like the idea of the children of the promise, is that, yeah, you know, not every descendant of of Abraham received the promise, but as a whole, you say, yes, Israel's descendants are God's chosen people. Does that make sense? Um, but, but we have records in the Old Testament of people being rejected by God because they rejected God, and so uh, you you see those those things come out. So um, so when when it says every nation will every nation will bow its knee to the Father, um, that means there's a remnant in each nation that God has preserved for Himself. And so even as missionaries, that's one of our goals is to see that every nation like our mission. Um, Right now, their main goal is to reach the unreached, and so, they. A lot of the mission organizations right now are like, we, we, in the matter of like, thirty-five years, it's possible that every nation in the world will have heard the gospel. And you go, that, that's kind of crazy. So, and they said, and if everyone hears the gospel. How much closer are we? Are we to the end times where God will come back? Because the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, and everyone is able to hear. Um, when people are able to turn to the Lord, and right now, even in the Muslim communities, people are coming to Christ like crazy. You don't hear it in the news, but there, there is a mass exodus from from Islam to Christianity right now. So. Um, in Mali, there is a, there are missionaries that have been there for 25 years and only have seen like five converts. And in the last 10 years, they've seen hundreds of people come to Christ. And so um, you just see that God is doing something in the nations right now. So, um, anyways, that's a sidetrack. Okay, so then that God has preserved the the people within the nation. It's not the nation as a whole because there will always be those that reject him. So, um, okay. So we have the quote from Isaiah 59. Isaiah 59:20 59, 20 and 21. The deliverer will come from Zion, which is another way of saying the, Isra- the deliverer will come from Israel. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob, and he will. Then this will be my covenant. So Jeremiah 31 will. Go through that, and when uh, and then with them, this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Okay, so this is specifically Israel, not the Gentiles, and this is what is important to recognize here. So this is promised to Israel: the ungodliness and the sin of Israel will be taken away, uh, not just the blessings on the the nations or the Gentiles. So we have. A Redeemer will come from is uh, from Zion. This is Isaiah chapter fifty-nine. A Redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who turn from transgressions, declares the Lord. And as for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My Spirit is upon you, and my words that I have put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth, and out of the mouth of your offspring, and out of the mouth of your children's offspring, for this. For this time forth and forevermore, and so you have this aspect of the Redeemer will come from Zion. So the Redeemer is coming from Israel, and Redeemer is Christ. Um, but it will come to those in Jacob who who turn from transgressions. And so, as we even reading in this chapter, those Israelites that turn from their their transgression of and maybe this is reading a little too much in, but when we're talking about in Israel in Roman in this chapter, that transgressions means the rejection of their Messiah. He's like, when they turn from that transgression, I will they will be part of my covenant. And so, when you read that idea of the of um, the covenant, he's, it's very important to recognize And we always take that covenant. That's that's what we as as Christians, as Gentile believers, that's what we cling to. Um, and he says, this is not just for Gentiles, but this is for the Jews also. So those that turn from their transgressions and to see and accept um, their Messiah. So, make sense? Maybe. Questions. I still can't see the chat questions. Anyone write a chat question? No? All right. All right. Okay. So verses 28 through 28 and 29. As so now he goes in and he's talking about the difference between the the gospel and election. There's a lot of complicated things in this chapter. So he says, regarding the gospel, they have become enemies for the sake of the Gentiles. And because they rejected the gospel, they showed themselves to be enemies of God. Because they've rejected the Messiah, they are showing themselves to be enemies of God. And I think the really the word here is that that they are showing themselves is that they were already there before, but now <laughs> they're showing themselves as enemies, so when they rejected the gospel, what happened? the gospel was able to go to the Gentiles because the message needed to be accepted um, and so it's kind of this idea that through their through their transgression, through their denial of The gospel of the gospel and of the Messiah we as Gentiles benefit and that You know I think we We respond in gratefulness Just like it Just like he was saying with the With the branch like our response is not Pride but gratefulness So um But now he goes and he says but as regards To election they are beloved For the sake of their forefathers Um so this is a reference to the election of the whole nation of Israel and the promise that was passed down, that God is f- still fulfilling that promise that was promised to the patriarchs, and that's why Israel is still in existence today. Even though re- they rejected their Messiah, there will be a time where they, where they will come back and accept him. So... Um, but again, the purpose, what's important for us to recognize is that God has made promises and that he will keep them. And that God is always faithful to keep his promises. Um, okay. And then uh, for the gifts and the, and the calling of God are irrevocable. So the election of a nation as a whole, but not as the individuals and nation but same as every nation will be blessed oh so that was we already talked about that so um, but he's saying that God's words what he has what he has proclaimed what he has ordained in advance to do is being done and and that's where I like how he ends oh wait we missed I missed one section the mercy section But I like, he ends with the doxology saying, hey, we don't understand God's ways, but but we have this idea of mercy. So he's like, so why did the Jews need to be, like, as Gentiles, we all know that us as Gentiles were disobedient, but you have also the Jews, the Jews were always considered righteous people. And he's like, and now that they have rejected, clearly rejected their Messiah, they are disobedient. And so, they're able to receive mercy clearly now when before they could have said, no, God has given me mercy because of all of my good things that I've done. So Israel's, Israel's disobedience will also bring God's mercy. But what is kind of interesting here is that the Gentiles' disobedience brought God's mercy through Israel and now Israel's disobedience will bring God's mercy through the gentiles. <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of interesting. You go to show that it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile. It doesn't matter where you come from. It all comes it's all through God's plan. So God has confined or imprisoned everyone to disobedience for a time so that he may have mercy. And part of this is because God is merciful and he wants to show his mercy and it's hard to wrap our head around that but he's, we had to be stuck in our disobedience for a time in order to even receive his grace and mercy um, and so both Jews and Gentiles alike are confined to disobedience there's no difference between them God will have mercy on all on all alike without distinction and so I, I, I really, I like that idea that God has mercy for all and he's proving through Israel's disobedience that even Israel needs his mercy and grace. So, um, and that's where I love he ends with this great doxology of all oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscr- inscrutable his ways for who has known the mind of the lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid for from him and through him and to him are all things to to him be glory forever amen and i really like i really like how he ends there because he goes there's a mystery we don't understand his ways we don't understand why he's doing this we don't understand exactly how it's all going to be worked out but who knows the mind of the lord and who's been his counselor we're not thankfully we're not the author and honestly what we're going through right now in the world i'm like we got a month of like lockdown in our house and you're like god's not surprised by this he's and He has His purpose in everything, and so we just we're able to trust in Him in all of these things that are unknown, um, and and to trust that His His purposes are there. Uh, We could go through this. I think we're we're over time now, Um, but there's a couple you can look through these verses uh, later. But we have like Ephesians. Just drop my Bible. <laughs> but the, do we have questions? I hear someone talking. I don't know who's talking. Okay, I'm gonna stop the PowerPoint and then see if I can see. Okay, who is talking? Someone was talking no all right it might
2: have been background noise
1: it's true there are, there are little people around so but we do see that that um, we have is okay let me pull that thing back up again um, but we have there are there are a lot of cross-references in this idea and quotes. And actually, a couple of those things were different quotes. So you have the depths of the riches. And remember when we went through Ephesians, we talked about the riches of um, the blessings that come from the gospel and come from Christ. And so you can go through, and we're not going to spend time going through it right now, um, but it, it, if you want to, you can read Ephesians chapter three, um, th- verses three through twelve is a good uh, kind of explanation of those riches. Actually, I'm going to read it. Is it okay if we read it quick? Yeah. Sorry, because I think there's a lot of parallels to what we just talked talked about. And he says, How the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insights into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and the prophets by the Spirit. in whom we have boldness and acceptance with confidence through our faith in him. And I, I feel like it's this mystery, like God has used the Jews and the Gentiles, we're co-heirs together, and it's to reach everyone in the world, and that we are all able to be reconciled to God, and the, the riches of that gospel, which is so deep and so beautiful. So... um yeah, Ephesians, and then he talks about Christ as the wisdom of God in First Corinthians one twenty four and twenty four and thirty, and then in Him are hidden the treasures of God's wisdom. So the wisdom is Christ, comes from Christ. Again, un- unsearchable, unsearchable are His judgments. And I go, he's referring. Um, he's he's actually this is a quote from Job, chapter nine. Who does great things beyond, ser- and God does. Who is God? Does great things beyond searching out and marvelous things beyond number. And I think that's kind of cool. Um, and then the next thing is for who has the mind of the Lord and who has been his counselor is a quote from Isaiah chapter 40. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man, or what man shows him his counsel? Um, and so, again, he's just taking these pieces of the Old Testament and saying, like, hey, we don't understand everything. Um, and then he quotes again from Job 41, who has given the gift to him that he might be repaid. And so, who has first given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. <laughs> God's like, hey, everything belongs to me. And ending with, with for him. Um, for from him and through him and to him all things are all things to him be glory forever amen and I feel like that's a summary of our fall right everything we talked about in the attributes of God um, that God is in control of all things and we can trust him in it and so even though we don't understand it all